Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey, Welcome to the Parker's Pensies podcast. I'm your host, Parker Sedecase. Uh, I have a couple graduate degrees in theology, and I'm working on another in philosophy of religion. And throughout my studies, I have really awesome conversations with really cool people. But unfortunately, I did not record those conversations. And so the goal of this podcast is to talk with experts in philosophy, theology, nature, and life, but to record them and then share them with you so that you get to learn as I learn. I love thinking about cool stuff. So come think with me. In this episode, uh, my expert is Dr. Owen Anderson, who is like a multi-repeat Parker's Pensies expert. He's awesome. We've had some really cool conversations. You can find those. uh, Maybe I'll leave a link in the description, but you can just scroll through the channel. We've had some really cool conversations about a myriad of of different interesting topics. But today we're going to be talking about uh, pseudo-intellectuals and the phenomena of pseudo-intellectualism. you guys, if you stick around for the for the whole podcast, hopefully you'll get a, a clear understanding of the phenomena of pseudo intellectualism, and with that understanding, you'll you'll be able to avoid being a pseudo intellectual for yourself uh, through self reflection and all sorts of stuff. I'm a little bit nervous on this one because maybe I'm a, a pseudo intellectual, so this is kind of some uh, some therapy for me as well. We'll see if if I uh, pass the test or not. But before we jump in. I just want to thank everyone on Patreon, all you guys supporting me. That's huge. Um, Really appreciate it. I got some new equipment here because of one of my patrons who uh, bought it for me just uh, without me even asking, which is huge. So I really appreciate you guys. The best way to support the show right now is to support me on Patreon. And uh, there's lots of different uh, perks you you get. So you get early access to episodes, uh, depending on which tier. Uh, That's $5 or more. Um, but if you guys support me for $3 or more, uh, you will be in the, uh, book drawing. And so I get free books from publishers to talk with the, uh, authors and I love getting free books. So I thought I will, I would love to share free books with you guys as well. So the drawing for October, we have the evolutionary argument against naturalism. Jim Slagle has been on the show. He's awesome. Love Jim. Uh, he's been on twice. We have Nathaniel Gray, Sutanto's God and Knowledge, also been on twice. And we have James Eglinton's Bavink, A Critical Biography, another fantastic book. And he's been on the podcast. So uh, if you want to enter to uh, win one of these books, all you got to do is become a Patreon patron, a supporter, before October 1st, 2021, and you can be in that drawing. And uh, if you're late, don't worry about it. We're going to be doing drawings every month. So there'll be new books from my guests for next month. Uh, like this on YouTube, uh, leave me a five-star review and a comment on Apple Podcasts. That'd be huge. But that's enough of that. Let's jump into conversation about anti-intellectuals. Oh, sorry, about pseudo-intellectuals. Let's go. 
Oh, and thanks so much for coming back on the podcast, man. Yeah, thanks for having me again. We always have a great time. Yeah, seriously. So uh, real quick, though, you are a professor of philosophy and of religion at Arizona State University. Is that right? Yeah, philosophy and religious studies at, at Arizona State. And my PhD is in the philosophy of religion. That's right. Okay, awesome. Um, and that's from Arizona State. And you've been there forever, man. You're like the... I've been there a long time. Yep. You're like, yeah. The whole I've place been able to... What I did in, in religious, I have a master's degree in religious studies. I studied uh, the theology of Charles Hodge and Benjamin Warfield and Abraham Kuyper and Cornelius Van Til. So if you're able to do those kinds of studies with the Sun Devils, why not stick around? That's right. That's right, man. I still need to read that book. I've had it forever. Uh, I'm, maybe I'm scared of it. Maybe uh, maybe I'm a pseudo-intellectual because no, I don't no, no. understand. We're going to talk about that. I'm glad I'm glad you you. Did wrestle with that worry, but we'll talk about that. I actually we're we're going over a paper I wrote mm-hmm. on pseudo intellectuals. I shared with you, and I actually addressed that right away in the beginning. But before we do that, can I can I do my shameless self promotion? Please, please. Um, so I also have a Patreon account, Doctor Owen Anderson, and a, a YouTube page, Doctor Owen Anderson. So I, so I invite your. I, I don't think that would conflict with you. I think if we did share, I think if someone was interested in, in my account, they'd also be interested in your account for sure. So I think that's overlapping. Yeah. Um, and I have a new book out. I'm, I'm going to see if this works to show you, show the, it, it's probably not the, the phone won't. Oh yeah. It's on Amazon. The title is elementary guide to the philosophers. And that, that, that didn't work at all. Just too bright <laughs> elementary guide to the philosophers. And it's aimed at uh, middle school and high school age group. And I go over the world philosophers. I go over 25 philosophers from around mm-hmm. the world. And what I do is I describe them. And what they think about knowledge, reality, and value. And then I give primary source readings from them, illustrating what they thought about those topics. Yeah. And then I study questions for the students. So I'm especially was thinking about homeschoolers or classical education students, that this would be an excellent book for them. So that's available on Amazon right now. Yeah. And uh, I, I think you said the hard, the soft cover just came out as well. Yeah. You can get that. Yeah, I That's first had a, the Kindle, and then this week the paperback came out. So awesome. I think it's affordable, and it's something that uh, parents can go through with their kids and prepare their kids then for when they get to college, they won't encounter anything they haven't already heard of before. Right. Yeah. I love those resources. I think we need, like, tons and tons and tons more of them yeah. uh, to p- prepare kids, and not just to, like, prepare, but to get them to think, become yeah. thinkers. Uh, yeah. Continue to think. You know, we always have – it just comes up with philosophers here and there, but when we're kids, we have these really cool philosophical thoughts. Yeah, we and do. Then that's right. s- somehow they're they're beaten out of us in maybe yeah, in grammar. I use that exact exact analogy with with my my one on one students and say, "Yeah, you were you were born a philosopher. You were born asking questions until someone told you stop asking questions." <laughs> that's right. Yeah, but that's well, a good segue into into the topic of pseudo intellectuals. Exactly. Because uh, how do we prepare our kids to be intellectuals to 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 uh, live in the life of the mind in in the right way? And I wrote this paper because in religious studies, we, we study a phenomenon called anti-intellectualism. Right. So the anti, and there's a whole book on the history of anti-intellectualism in America. I think it's Richard Hofstetter. And that's almost always tied to religion. The religious mm-hmm. people are the anti-intellectuals. And unfortunately, uh, Hofstetter's probably right about that in many cases. The response to modernity has Darwinism, Marxism, Freudianism has been for Christians either to accommodate those things mm-hmm. and say we have to somehow smash Christianity into Darwinism, Marxism, and Freudianism, or to say, well, yeah, that's what happens when you use your mind. You become an atheist. 
just stop doing that. Yeah. So that's an interesting study. But it made me think about another phenomenon, which is pseudo-intellectuals. And the pseudo-intellectual is not the anti-intellectual. The anti-intellectual just states the life of the mind is no good. Yeah. The pseudo-intellectual wants to appear to live according to the life of the mind and, and fool others, but doesn't mm-hmm. actually live according to the life of the mind. And so I'm wondering if that in our day is a, is a worse problem. Yeah. than the anti-intellectual, or at least one that we need to be aware of. But what I do in the beginning right away is I, I, I recognize that there's both what I call a danger and a delicacy in bringing this up for the reason that you mentioned. Right. Yeah. The danger is that someone could think I'm calling people names mm-hmm. uh, and, I, and I'm uh, saying, oh, you're just a pseudo-intellectual and dismissing them. And that's not my goal at all. Uh, and the delicacy is, it really probably could apply to all of us at some point. So we all have to be aware of the possibility of being pseudo-intellectuals. It's not, I'm not here projecting on others. It's something I have to think about myself as well. Yeah. I thought that was a really interesting point because it can be analyzed or applied. So one person could be a pseudo-intellectual in one field and not in the, in a, in a different field. Yeah. yeah. I thought that's a really interesting point that we do need to watch that, but also not so self-conscious that we never open our mouths at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, uh, yeah, I like that. It still freaked me out. I, even with the caveat, uh, to don't be too freaked out, but mm-hmm. the, you give some really interesting criteria about, uh, understanding. I thought that was really helpful. And you bring in the selfish as well, but uh, be- maybe before we jump in, what, what is an intellectual? Yeah. So to know what either an anti-intellectual is or a pseudo intellectual, you'd have to first know what an intellectual is. So, the, the intellect, the life of the mind, is where we try to come to know things. Yeah. To have a meaning, purpose. And so we are, we're presented with propositions like God is real. Mm-hmm. And how do we know if that's true or false? So the, the intellectual is pursuing that. What, what is true? And I'm going to break there. I made a little pause so you can edit it. The bird yeah, should calm down in a second. My wife just had to step out. Okay. So he's going crazy. Uh, <laughs> I hear him now. Yeah. yeah, but <laughs> it's, not, it's, not, it's not too bad, but it's funny. That okay, yeah. hear, he's stressing out. Uh, yeah. He, he's like, why are you leaving? So, <laughs> yeah, we got a bird and we got, we got a desert tortoise also we adopted. Oh, that's a, right. was an abandoned one. So he's out back. So those are, I, I relate to your, a lot of your videos on, on uh, turtles and, and whatnot. Totally. Stuff, so. I love that, dude. Yeah, so the so the intellectual is trying to know in order to shape the rest of their life, right? So, mm-hmm. so you're presented with choices in life, like like sh- sh- what should I do? Should I worship God or not worship God? Well, the choices I make will depend on what I think is real. Like if God is not real, then I wouldn't worship God. So the intellectual recognizes the role of beliefs in our life. That the belief really beliefs are what forms the rest of how we feel, what we do. Yeah. So that's what the intellectual wants. You could be an anti-intellectual by arguing against that and saying, no, really what's important is feelings. Mm -hmm. And to get someone to be, say, a Christian, you need to move them. People aren't moved by arguments. I mean, you give, you give like an ontological argument, 95% of your audience is asleep. Yeah. And the other 5% think you're wrong. So you haven't done anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, that may not be true. Uh, you might not be moved by an argument in, in that in that way, 
but you're moved by your thoughts. Yeah. And if you come to doubt what you thought was true before, that will move you as well. Yeah. So arguments do have an effect on us one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, the anti-intellectual might want to go just to, to, to feelings. But really, when you do when you see what they're doing with feelings, there's an, an argument embedded in there. Yeah. Uh, they may be dressing it up with with like a, a rock concert and um, a really good speech about something. But in yeah. there, there's an argument about the human condition. Yeah. So you still have to pay attention to what they're saying. But it hasn't it hasn't always been. Well, it's not made explicit. And so it's a little bit sneaky when it's like, yeah, I'm not I'm not being clear with you and what I'm trying to persuade you. I'm or I am trying to persuade you, but with extra stuff that's not according yeah. to reason and understanding. Yeah, it's more like. Uh, Madison Avenue hmm. and uh, how to get you to buy a product. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to try to convince you. I think that was one of the first episodes of, of Mad Men. They were working with Lucky Strike Cigarette Company. Mm-hmm. And the, in that show, the Surgeon General had just come out with a warning that cigarettes cause cancer. So all the cigarette companies are freaking out. So Lucky Strike executives are saying, hey, what we need to do is say Lucky Strike's healthier. It causes <laughs> less cancer than the other guys. Yeah. And the main character uh, said, no, what you need to do is just have a billboard that shows a guy smoking and says, life is hard. Yeah. Don't even address the cancer stuff. Life's hard. So you smoke because it's nice. You might die of a car accident tomorrow. Don't worry about cancer in 50 years. So the idea, in other words, is you're just trying to get someone to do something. And so you do that. You do that. We'll call it non-cognitively. Yeah. Not through an argument, but by appealing to sensations. Now, a lot of people live at that level. That's the intellect, the anti-intellectual. But here, we're switching over to the pseudo-intellectual. So let me let me suggest the pseudo-intellectual is the sophist that Socrates encountered. Yeah, that's like the type, the poster boy of the pseudo-intellectual, yeah. because they want to be able to speak well and persuade their audiences. But they're not as worried. Of course, they they may think what they're doing is the truth. Mm-hmm. But they can't really show that. However, they can persuade their audience. Now, you can imagine that Christian apologetics could get into that mode, right? Totally. I've been thinking that this whole time. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to pre- – if I can just get – I mean, what matters is someone gets to heaven. Yeah. And that and, – and to get to heaven, they got to say this prayer. So if I can get them to say this prayer by any means, good. Yeah. But here's I, the problem. Well, I, I even think about – I don't want to toss anyone in the bus, so let's, let's talk about it. But – um there's, there's a, a move to imaginative apologetics and that's cool depending on what that means. Right. But if it's like, we're going to, we're painting a more compelling picture. Yeah. That's cool. Is the compelling picture true? Like I know you think it's true, but you have to actually yeah. still argue and, and you want them, yeah. you want to enter into here, not just into here. So don't you wish that it were true? Well, mm-hmm. just believe yeah, it. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Somehow Christianity connects up with our deepest longings better than any other religion. Now, the thing is, whenever I hear that, it's almost always the Christian versus the, the Epicurean materialist. And mm-hmm. those are our two options. And yeah. Christianity is better than Epicurean materialism. But that approach to apologetics almost never deals faithfully with, with the other world religions who would say yeah. the same thing. They'd say, no, actually, we address our deepest longings much better. Right. But yeah, I think so the 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 here's a problem. Mm-hmm. Getting someone to say a prayer so they go to heaven when they die is not the same as helping someone to know God. Yeah. So you can't actually achieve the goal of helping someone to know God 
in that other way by marketing or a really good rock band or something, they might've said a prayer. And so if, if that's this, if this is accurate soteriology, then when they die, they'll go to heaven, but they don't know much about God. Paul tells us at the end of Hebrews five and beginning of Hebrews six, we're to go on to maturity. Mm-hmm. We're not supposed to just say, stay babes our whole life. Right. We're to grow up. So I'm going to suggest this, and you can argue with me about it. If you know God, then you could, you could show that God is real. Mm-hmm. You'd have a sound argument. And any other claim of knowing God is something else. Hmm. Uh, you, you know, I have to bring up Alvin Plantinga here. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you say that, so for those who don't know, Alvin Plantinga um, kind of argues against uh, anyone who argues for or against God and says, look, there's not very good arguments on either side. And then later in his life, he's still you know living today, um, but he's not, he's not working in philosophy anymore um, that I've seen. Um, he says, you know, we can, our belief can be properly basic. It doesn't need to be based on uh, another belief or, or an argument. We can just believe in God, just like I believe that, uh, Dr. Anderson here is a person and not a robot or, you know, I don't have proof for that. I just kind of take that. Uh, would you say that his position that you can, that belief in God is properly basic is non-cognitive then? Yes. No, no, no. Instantly, I just posted a lecture on planning, a, on my YouTube page, okay. Dr. Owen Anderson, uh, from my book, Reason and Worldviews. Yeah. So your, your audience can go there if they want to see me analyze uh, Alvin Plantinga's view. Awesome. And I, I'm trying I'm trying new clickbait titles. So my <laughs> title for that one is Alvin Plantinga discovered this truth that drove Marxists crazy. Is that a good one? That's pretty good. I want to click and on that. Yeah. I'm gonna have a picture like this of me. <laughs> I, hate right? I hate that we have to do that, man. <laughs> I'm just I, I, I'm teasing with the with the clickbait title. Yeah. I didn't do that. I'm not putting yeah. pictures of like that of me. But yeah, it's yeah. true though. That's what people click on. It's so funny. It's, it's yeah. I'm, so yeah. I, mean, I had one that said uh, Van Til discovered this secret that baffled theologians. So I'm seeing how these do. Yeah, I yeah I try to resist those as much as I can, <laughs> but I might have to join you there. I'm just being silly with them myself. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, so yeah. So without getting too technical, Alan Plantinga is analyzing knowledge as an empiricist. Mm -hmm. So when you look at me and you think I'm a human, that believes properly basic, a human as opposed to like either an android or just a shell of a human occupied by an evil demon tricking you, Mm -hmm. is properly basic. And no one would say you need to prove that and give some kind of rigorous analytic proof to show that Dr. Ann, every person you meet is a human. Um, and, and so he used that from the, he, he gives sense data examples. Like you see a computer in front of you. you have, so therefore you form a belief there's a computer in front of you. Now he recognizes that there are things called defeaters, which come up. Like if all of a sudden I started, started glitching yeah. and some electricity started coming out of my ear, well, that'd be a defeater that maybe I am an Android. Mm-hmm. So then you need to start formulating an argument and respond to the defeater. Or else you don't have, warrant anymore yeah. so i would raise a question and I, and I do in my lecture about the idea that we have probably basic beliefs about god at all mm-hmm. i suggest that's problematic but even if we do there's plenty of defeaters such that you still have to form arguments and respond to them yeah so you really can't in other words without being too technical for your audience he's what's called an externalist which mm-hmm. means he analyzes knowledge from the third person. Yeah, and you can get you can get as technical as you want because okay. uh, yeah, they're they're all like master students. Most Good, of them. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, So the problem for the externalist 
and, and, and externalism has a place. We, we do analyze knowledge claims from the third person perspective, mm-hmm. but it's not the externalist can't avoid becoming an internalist. When you ask them this question, how do you know externalism is true? Yeah, I, dude, I like that a lot. I used to be way more into externalism. Um, but then the this thought that you just raised came up for me because of the movie The Matrix. And I thought about Neo when he wakes up from The Matrix. Well, what is that? That's like a 40-year-old sci-fi, right? 40? I don't know. I'm no, just no. teasing you. It's so funny how like I've had I had a period of students who didn't know what The Matrix was. Oh, nice. Was old. Old. And now yeah. I'm going to have students who know what The Matrix is again. That's right. Let's go. I have to like awesome. brush off the DVDs and watch it again. <laughs> That's right. Well, so the the, the thought that I have uh, was, look, I don't know. How, how does Neo just get to uh, have justified knowledge claims now uh, or justified true belief as knowledge? He just found out that he was systematically deceived. And so I, I talked with an externalist friend of mine. He says, well, it depends on the environment he's in. So it doesn't. It's like, well, that doesn't seem, and I think that actually moved me from externalism that to did, internalism. Yeah. Well, because here's here's the problem with planning his definition of having uh, knowledge. Knowledge is the outcome of uh, a knower who's in an environment and with the faculties that are designed for truth. Yeah, yeah, to function well, in so that now, in the environment. If we're talking about knowing God, you've just given us a circular definition. Your definition assumes a designer. Well, I think he says you could be a naturalist and hold the proper function if you assume that, like, a, you know, a, a designer in a uh, metaphorical sense. Well, his next his next book after that was against the naturalistic objection to uh, evolution, right? Is that what the title is? Um, I don't know. So, so was- again, that's where I say you, you end up seeing how in a lot of Christian apologetics, the bad yeah. guy is the materialist. Oh, yeah. And it's like, well, look, your definition of externalism and belief could be used by any religion. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I think it leans towards pluralism. So, yeah, I mean, you, you could be properly basic, have a properly basic belief in your religion. The only reason it wouldn't be warranted is that your object of belief isn't real. Mine mm-hmm. is. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> that's the big yeah. question. How do you know that? Right. That's why I like uh, Tyler. Tyler McNabb uh, has, has done some work to try and show mm-hmm. – to try and advance that program, but as it as it stands with with planning himself, that's yeah, like the great pumpkin objection. Well, how come we can't just probably? Yeah, I mean, you don't even have to. That's a, look. I mean, I, I, this is why I teach world religions. We, we should be able to do better than either our objections, the materialist or the great pumpkin. It's <laughs> a philosophical Hinduism, right? So that's that's what I mean. That um, not not even mentioning the more philosophically and and more rigorous religions, if it even lets in just the bare minimum of the great pumpkin, then that's a problem. Right. Yeah, that's true. Yes. I know. I know Tyler. We've talked a lot. And yeah, yeah, I think Tyler's view still ends up becoming internalism Mm. or allowing for things that aren't God to be properly basic. Yeah. So he might have quite a broad view of what counts as God. Uh, without knowing it, he might be in what I'd call the Schleiermacher tradition of theology, which is that religion is when you have a general sense of dependence on something greater than you. Mm-hmm. But when I say no God, here's what I mean. And so I'd like to see if you know the source of this. Uh, God is a spirit who is infinite, eternal, and unchanging in being, wisdom, power, holiness, goodness, justice, and truth. Mm-hmm. That's God. Yeah. That's Westminster Shorter Catechism, question four. I thought you were going to ask so, me, man. I was all geared up to, to look smart here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You knew, huh? 
<laughs> well, you've talked about it again and again, which is great. Yeah. So that, when I say knowing God, I'm not talking about like knowing some vague sense of a higher power. Gravity is a higher power. And I have a vague sense that I'm dependent on gravity. Yeah. Uh, the CIA is a higher power than me. But is there an eternal spirit who's existed from eternity right. infinite in power, goodness and knowledge? That's what I want to know. Yeah. But so but you say that um, it, and your claim was, uh, which you recognize might be controversial, is that you have to demonstrate that. That yeah. belief, if you That's have, why I put that out there right now at first right. so we could be right. shocked by it. I like to yeah. shock the audiences and that makes them click on the link even right. more. Right. Dr. Owen Anderson. You can say, Dr. Anderson yeah. says you don't know God if you can't show it. Exactly. Because yeah. planning is one, but then also uh, uh, William Lane Craig and J.P. Moreland in their book, philosophical foundations both say that same thing hmm. so they distinguish between knowing and showing that you know yeah and they and the first one when they say knowing what they mean is uh that kind of either externalist view or a non-cognitive view like i know how to ride a bike but maybe i couldn't write a very good essay about how to ride a bike yeah uh, like no know how knowledge uh right. well i don't know do you do you hold to the three like the, the the trichotomy of like know that so propositional know how I don't even know how else to to, to say that but then uh, and like know whom like the I thou interpersonal knowledge yeah, yeah like okay. acquaintance yes but I would say they all end up beginning in the propositional one and that's the yeah. one we're talking about first okay so earlier when I was giving the distinction between intellect and then feelings and actions that's the three yeah okay and okay. people tend to emphasize one or the other of the second two mm -hmm. feelings or actions. And, uh, and, and here's why we all know philosophy majors who can rattle off arguments and their lives are a wreck <laughs> and they're yeah. not living. They're not even living a wise worldly life, let alone a Christian life. Yeah. So people will see that and they'll say, well, I get, I mean, arguments don't get you much. And, and that's mm -hmm. true, but I would say they don't know it. A tape so recorder. I, we don't have tape recorders. A uh, 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 iPhone or, or a parrot can repeat things. Yeah. But to know it means that you can respond to objections. That's why I said planning as you turns into this anyway with defeaters. Mm -hmm. And the, the temptations of life are such challenges. And yeah. so if a, if a Christian philosophy major is failing at the temptations of life, but they can rattle off arguments, it shows that they don't really know what they're talking about. Yeah. So, um, Maybe we can we could take a stab at like defining philosophy um, real quick so we could we could understand like why that would be the case that a, a philosophy student whose life is a wreck might be, I don't know, a pseudo intellectual or not living up to the, the call of a philosophy. Student. Yeah. So let me mention that there are a lot of benefits that come from being an intellectual, especially um, internal gratification mm -hmm. and external praise. So by knowing obscure facts and quotes yeah. you feel superior to others totally and then by having people praise you you give a paper at the evangelical philosophical society and and some professor comes up afterwards and who, who you studied in grad school and says good job that was a great paper yeah i've made it i did it That's right. so there's a lot of there, there are reasons that you'd want to do that besides knowing the truth mm-hmm and, and that could be true in secular or religious settings. Se you know, the secular intellectual likes those same kinds of accolades. I mean, think of how much time we spend on getting an award. Mm -hmm. Like there's awards for everything. It's true. You're, a, you're good at pretending to be someone else. We'll give you an Oscar. Yeah. Right? yeah. 
So there's intellectual awards and people like it. And the sophists were, were pursuing those, right? Mm-hmm. So what Socrates did was asked the three types of persons he encountered. I think they actually fit the three things you just mentioned. Okay. The intellectuals, the feelers, artists, and the doers, the craftsmen. Mm-hmm. And he asked them if they actually know or they only think they know. And that's the internalist question. So for a philosopher to write a book and say, you don't even have to answer the internalist question. It's like, well, wait a minute. Yes, you do. That's a Socratic program that started this whole thing off. Yeah. You might think you know, but you don't really know. You might claim to know God, and you you don't know God. So Mm -hmm. I think you'll have to show it by, by responding to objections. So the first thing is someone says, God is real. That proposition is true. Well, how do you know it? God made me so that I just know it. That's not a proof. That's a fallacy. Well, okay. So there's uh, you made this distinction in the paper that uh, the pseudo is they're making more than just a mistake. Um, and and I think I, I wanted to ask like how how much um, in, how much intention uh, to pretend that you know what you're talking about. How how much of that is needed for someone to be a pseudo intellectual instead of just a, a intellectual who's mistaken or so a, a yeah. budding, uh, you know, bur- burgeon, burgeoning uh, intellectual right. who's just wrong about some stuff. Yeah. Good. I think it, it happens in a couple ways. I think the feeding of what I'll call our self life, hmm. our sin life can happen unconsciously at first. So I thought I realized because a lot of times these these persons who become graduate students, it started in kindergarten. And they're the ones who from a young age needed to be told, great work. And, and <laughs> they're the ones from a young age who panicked if they got a B plus. Uh-huh. Right? They need all A's. And so they've habitually been fed that. So I'll meet people who have from their youth been told that they're so smart and now they're an honor student and they're receiving praises. But I can't get them to question their assumptions for the life of them. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't seem to be a better situation at all. Yeah. So I would say that you don't have to be conscious of the fact you're doing it. But I think the older you get, the more you will end up consciously pursuing that. And the more God's providence in your life won't let you off the hook. Life, I don't mean life apart from God, but like God through the challenges of life, when I yeah. say life, um, requires us to think yeah. and our easy answers get challenged. And that's true if you're a Christian or a non-Christian, right? Just a Marxist, just a, applying Marxism to our current cultural problems. Well, that's just materialism. It seems utterly empty. Mm-hmm. So you're going to get challenged on that, but the Christian will too. And the Christian who says, Oh yeah, we were all made by God to know God. We have a sensitive inatatus and you're denying your sensitive inatatus. Like, well, that's a, that's a, that's disrespectful. That's a circular argument. You, you should have more respect for me as a thinker than to make me think I, I would believe that. Yeah. At least do, give me, give me a, a non-question-begging argument. Do you uh, – there's a distinction that I, I found was helpful and want to toss it by you uh, between a cause of someone's belief and a reason for someone's belief. So like mm-hmm. you know, we're good re- reform folks here. I, I believe that why, – why, why am I a Christian? Well, I believe the Holy Spirit caused me to believe. I think he used means to do that. And so I still have reasons for believing in God and continuing to be a Christian, though ultimately I'd say the cause is 
you know, his divine decree and the outworking of that decree by the Holy Spirit. Would you would you see a distinction yep. between the cause Absolutely. and the reason? Yep. Okay. Okay. I think that's a really helpful one now because I've because what I'm you know me that I'm reformed because I'm yeah. on here I'm, I'm quoting the confession to you I'm quoting shorter sure. catechism but I've had people say oh that Anderson he's not truly reformed mm-hmm. and here's why because I say that ought implies can if you ought to do something you'd have to be able to do it yeah if you're not able to do it then you're you can't be held responsible so if, if if you saw a parent chastising their child and you went over and said hey what's going on and they said he can't even prove E equals MC squared. Say, well, yeah. he's five years old. Give the guy a break, right? Right. I think that's a true thing. But the Reformed will say, no, you're dead in your trespasses and sins, so you can't know God. Well, there's been a subtle shift here about the topic from your natural ability to your moral ability. Yeah. Well, so, so the knowledge about- of God is available to you, and you are a reason user, but yeah. you're in the condition of not wanting to use reason to know God. Right. In so- that condition, you can't know God. Just, just real quick on the is and uh, is implies or is yeah implies can, um, I mean oh, we're, we're can. Oh, oh, yeah sorry yeah. Oh, implies can, um, we're called to you know be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect, but mm-hmm. can any of us be perfect like we're born in sin right so like yeah what, what do you make of that one just real quick for anyone well I don't yeah I don't I think perfect there can't mean infinite. For sure. Or that would sure. violate the autumn plus can, right? Yeah, but uh, like more, morally perfect. We, we should. There, this is part of the uh, problem with, with the Molinist and libertarian solution of problem of evil, is they sure. seem to imply that we are sinners in virtue of being temporal. And by getting a free will, at some point you will sin, even though that actually contradicts their definition of free will, which is say there's no point at which you, you must sin. Yeah. So you could have a free will and never sin, and that should be the case. You should always pursue what is good. I think that's what it's saying. You can't ever say, well, come on, I'm only human. Right, right. So I think the Arminian would also, depending on who the Arminian is, would, would say, well, that the original state of Adam and Eve, like the original state of man was such that they he could have done A or B, and there was nothing constraining his choice, but now we've inherited this yeah. sinful nature. Um, if, if he's a good Augustinian, he will say that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a joke because it, uh, 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 the Augustinian line is the Calvinist line. Well, yeah, I was, I thought you were going with the, uh, split Augustine earlier or late Augustine or, oh, or yeah. everything finds its way. Uh, it's ultimate tell us in. Well, like, in yeah, I, cause I don't, I identify as reform, not Calvinist. I, cause that tends to be a very narrow definition these days. Definitely. And so when someone says you're a Calvinist, I'll, I'll joke and say, well, I'm Augustinian and I'm Augustinian because I believe what Paul said in Rome. Yeah, right. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Uh, man, we've gone uh, far afield here. Yeah. But, All right. Um, so let's come back to my shocking claim. Yeah. Yeah. If you know God, you should be able to show it. And now let me add to the shocking claim. The knowledge of God is through the works of God, not any other way. So the way that you would show that you know God is by declaring the glory of God revealed in creation and providence. Mm -hmm. And that's against most religious person's beliefs, which is that this is a life of shadows. And when you die, you'll get the highest blessing because then you'll have the beatific vision where you see God. Yeah. And I'm suggesting what I'm saying, I think, is deeply rooted in the scripture, particularly we see in the Psalms. Uh, no, the works of God declare the glory of God. The spacious heavens declare the glory of God. Or Asaph ends Psalm 73 by saying, I will declare all of your wondrous works. Mm-hmm. 
That's how we know God. Yeah. So the intellectual, the one who recognizes I was made by God with my mind to know him, should be the first in line to be able to demonstrate, to show, to prove God is real by pointing to the works of God. I think that's what Romans 1 is saying when it says the eternal power and divine nature of God are clearly displayed in the things that are made. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Psalm 19 um, mm-hmm. as well. So some here's why it's like, controversial is what I just said. Yeah. The, the, the Christian, when I say that if God exists and unbelief is without excuse, mm-hmm. therefore it must be clear God exists. It's interesting because the atheists always see that. They always say, yeah, that that's true. I don't agree that it's clear God exists, but if we're responsible, if unbelief is inexcusable, it should be clear. Yeah. My arguments always come from Christians who don't want to have to do that. Yeah. And they'll say, no, no, no. Uh, you have an inner feeling. You have an original sense, but you don't have to give any proof. And mm-hmm. I think that's too bad. We should be excited to do that. When someone says, God, look at all the evil in the world. We should be excited yeah. to display the glory of God and his works. Yeah. It's one thing that, that I, uh, I did appreciate a lot from planning a, uh, at least his his understand or his reasoning behind uh, wanting to not have to give proofs was you know Grandma Sally and he's thinking like oh, yes. I, I want her to be able to believe. We talked about this a little bit before, but the grandma objection. It's never the grandpa objection. No, it's you grandma because grandma's, grandma, grandma's, grandma's objection exactly. warm cookies. That's right, exactly. And she's got the little strawberry candies for you. And Does Hebrews six apply to grandma? Does grandma have to grow up and become mature or do yeah. warm cookies yeah. get you out of it? So I think the, the distinction is like um, grandma can, has to grow up and, and be mature, especially if she's a grandma. She, she'd been a Christian her whole life. Like, yeah. dude, yes, you have to know the Lord. Uh, so I think what Plantingians would want to say is like growing in the knowledge of God doesn't require uh, rigorous uh, academic demonstration yeah. of his existence. Mm-hmm. And so grandma Sally, who knows God as a person who knows Christ as her Lord and Savior, it might be unreasonable to ask her to go on this show and debate Alex Malpass yep. on the existence of God. Those are, yeah, those are two different things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my experience, though, with grandmas is they, some of them I met, I'll brag about my grandmas, they could. Yeah. But I've met a lot of grandmas who can't even do what you're suggesting. Uh-huh. They've well, been fetuses their whole life, well, okay. but they give people warm cookies. Yeah, yeah, and so Grandpa doesn't make warm cookies, so he he doesn't get any any benefit of the doubt. But Grandma, how could you say anything about? But it's always wrong to have done that. Now, the rigorous proofs. If what we, if, I don't mean this. I don't mean you have to quote from the latest journal articles and give the most up to date uh, references to prove God exists. Yeah, yeah, the kind of proof a faithful Grandma might give will be sound and much better than what I find in the philosophy of religion journals. Can you give us an example? I, I think grandma could easily appeal to the works of God in her own life mm. and in the creation in a manner of speaking that isn't philosophical, but nevertheless communicates sound arguments. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas l- let me add something else in here, which I didn't bring up yet. When the apostle Paul was at Mars Hill in Athens, he says that the philosophers liked to gather there to discuss all the latest ideas. Yeah, I yeah. saw this in the paper. This is good. Yeah, and that and that's really what philosophers, including Christian philosophers, still do. Mm-hmm. They like to debate the latest ideas, the newest fads, and, and these come and go. Um, they change every decade or two. They don't provide knowledge. So grandma's not 
influenced by that stuff. In that sense, he's more real or more true than the intellectual who, who can quote these newest articles. I, I don't find that very uh, impressive myself. Mm -hmm. the, the, yeah. the, the quoting the latest articles. Not, I, I find the grandma argument impressive. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but the world's religions are filled with grandsons who have grandmas that they want to defend. That's right. She'll have the Hindu, the pious Hindu grandma. Should we give, you know, let her off the hook too? Or is she inexcusable in her unbelief? Yeah, that's yeah. a great counter argument. There are so, lots of grandmas who disagree with each other. Yeah. And they all have warm cookies or whatever their culture's version of that is. But they need Christ because of unbelief. Even grandma does. Mm -hmm. Paul defines sin as not seeking, not understanding, not doing what is right, unless you're a grandma. Yeah. No. <laughs> That's right. I, yeah, I haven't caught that qualification yet. But so if grandma's appealing to her sense of feeling God's presence, it sounds non-cognitive. No, yet, I, yeah, I don't think that's what I meant. Right, right. No, so I'm just trying to I'm trying to um think through this here. If grandma's saying if you say grandma, how do you know God exists? Can you can you demonstrate that for me because you yeah. should be able to, you know, Anderson told me you should. And she says, "Well, I feel his comforting presence um when I pray." Mm -hmm. And uh, then I, I, you know, I prayed about whatever, and I saw that answered prayer. Yeah. Does that count as a as a demonstration? They'll sound, they'll sound unsound to me. Okay. I prayed to Krishna, and I felt his comforting presence. And I prayed to Krishna that my my grandson would get into the master's degree program, and he did. Mm -hmm. So you'd have to do more than that. I, I think there are grandmas. I mean, what has grandma been doing this whole time? How was what is she in her seventies? So seventies uh, is is the new sixties, uh, man. Yeah, grandma's grandma's in her nineties. Yeah, nice. What has she been doing for ninety years? <laughs> Moses in she's in been Psalm baking those 90. cookies. She's yeah. been trying to get the recipe down. Moses in Psalm ninety says that that maybe we get seventy, maybe eighty years right to seek God. Has she been seeking God this whole time, and all she has is that I sometimes feel his comforting presence. Hmm. She's never been around anyone else from any other world religion who, in their religion, gives that same thing. Right. Do do um, to what the if our grandma? We were talking in, before we recorded about warrior poets. What if our yeah. grandma were warrior poets? Yeah, it'd be epic. And so, yeah, by that I don't. I mean, grandma should able to show that the material world had a beginning. I, and I don't think you need to have studied advanced science to know that. In fact, studying advanced science might be a hindrance because of all the nonsense that comes up in believing uncaused events. I mean, you might read. Lawrence Krauss's newest book or Stephen Hawking's last book and think that there are, that science proves there are uncaused events. Yeah. Okay. So, um, with, with grandma, is she allowed to use like, uh, abductive and, and inductive inferences or does it have you to be could. like a, a, okay. Yeah, you, you could. I, I mean, ultimately they're all going to probably be informal unless grandma this is was why I like, uh, planning to, or sorry, uh, Van Til. Oh, because someone would look at me and they'll say, Anderson doesn't like Van Til at all. Because a lot of my arguments are, are against, I, I think planning and Van Til are actually really similar. But here's what Van Til does is right. We can know with certainty God exists. Mm -hmm. And most of the, and he's arguing against the evidentialists. And currently the evidentialists, the Molinists and the evidentialists are the view in Christian philosophers, mm -hmm. right? The, the yeah. counter reformation and evidentialism. But that doesn't get us to, Certainty about God's existence. I think planned, I think Van Til was on the right path with that. That we should expect to have that. Well, so all the philosophers listening are, are chafing right now, saying, well, "What kind of certainty are you talking about?" Because can you be I certain? Knew, uh, so, I knew he was a Van Tilian. Yeah. Uh, 
do you mean the strong claim of like like logical certainty as well like like well let's say back to our proposition god is real yeah and specifically what paul mentions is the eternal power of god god Mm -hmm. alone is eternal you should be able to show that there's only a couple other options so you come to certainty let's say you have two options and one of them is false well the one you're left with is true yeah now I think you might have maybe like four options in this case. You rule out three of them, then what you're left with is certain. Mm. So I don't mean cycle, subjective certainty. You could have a proof that's certain and you're not, you don't feel good about it for some reason. Yeah. Maybe that, you know, you're, you're hungry and you need to go to eat lunch and then you'll feel better. But yeah, you could have certainty that way. I think actually rather than Van Til, I would emphasize Charles Hodge and his okay. systematic theology. That's how he approaches these things. He he considers the possible claims about what's eternal. Yeah. Um, okay. So another another reason that someone uh, well, the listeners who know epistemology know we're talking about fallibilism, infallibilism, and stuff like that. But uh, if someone's saying, "Look, I want to be intellectually uh, humble," and this is something that comes mm-hmm. up in the paper as well about yeah. intellectual humility being a intellectual, and, and when you're not humble about what you know or understand, then you become a pseudo intellectual. Um, how about that, that claim that's saying like, look, I don't want to get out over my skis. I don't yeah. want to make claims that I can't back up. Uh, but yeah. I do believe in God. Like, yeah. w- what do you make of that? Yeah, that, that's right. I mean, you, you, what you said is exactly the, the key. I don't want to make claims. I can't back up. Right. Only make the ones you can back up <laughs> and about those, you should be willing to be bold Yeah. about the other ones. Then you, you measure your boldness based on, do you actually know it? What, what, what's the percentage in which you know it? That, that's where you get into evidentialism and, and percentages. Whereas I think with God's existence, you're not in the area of probability or percentages. I mean, the, a fallibus type of argument that says it's like planning and being empirical. They start with empiricism, and I'm not starting with empiricism. So they would start by saying, yeah, our, our senses are accurate under these conditions. And so you can normally think you're in those conditions, but it's fallible because maybe you're not. Yeah, you, you avoid all the problems that come up with that by avoiding empiricism mm-hmm. and evidentialism. Okay. I think Van Til does a good job of dealing with that, that idea that somehow if you prove the tomb is empty, you've demonstrated God exists. Right. And he says, no, there's lots of – you could the, – the unbeliever could grant the tomb's empty and have lots of other answers. That doesn't get us anywhere. Totally. Yeah. There's all the propositional content that comes – that yeah. tells yeah. you how to interpret that, that you have in the background. Yeah. Oh, the, the evidentialist – and this is a, an apologist, like more on the on the popular level, who has hasn't thought through as, as much, right? But yeah. the mere fact of the you know empty tomb, like, well, dude, you have a lot that's going on in the background here yeah. that the culture had in right. their, yeah. you know, but is not there anymore. So you yeah. got to do a little bit more work nowadays. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I and I wonder, uh, well, not only that, but also also the 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 Hindu will teach this as an, an avatar of Krishna. He did indeed come yeah. out from the dead or uh, perhaps you've seen the show ancient aliens not yet you haven't seen that oh it's a t it's a tv series basically if anything happened in the ancient world yeah. they're not saying it was aliens yeah. but it was aliens yeah right and, okay. and so christ resurrecting from the dead well aliens were experimenting with uh resuscitation technology on humans nice so it is you know you, you, i mean some of those might say what's funny is i when i've mentioned those People say the same thing about Christian apologists say the same thing. That's ridiculous. No, mm-hmm. whoa, whoa, wait, wait. One of those might be ridiculous. Aged aliens. The other one is 
a major world religion that's existed for thousands of years and influenced billions of lives. You need to do more work than just saying it's ridiculous. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a great point. Um, I want to also broach different motivations. So like what, the- well, before we do that, can I ask this? Yeah. I think it's too bad. And we're not going to be able to answer all the objections in this sure. time, but I think it's really sad that, we are hesitant to boldly affirm it's clear God exists and we can show it. Yeah. Why are we worried about that? The only reason we can worry about that is we've, we've imbibed, we've internalized unbeliefs, objections mm-hmm. who say, no, it's not clear God exists. It's really hard to know if God exists, if he exists at all. Why do we internalize those? Yeah. Why aren't we on the in the front of the line saying, actually, I think you can show it's clear that God exists? Yeah. I, just initially, I think there's a couple of different, uh, you know, this might have been rhetorical by you, but I think there's a couple reasons. I think one is people internalize that and they kind of got the, the beaten dog mentality of, you know, oh, no, like I'm a little scared to. I, I feel that sometimes. I think another one would be like I. I want to reach people where they're at. And so I want to acknowledge that their doubt is something that uh, yeah, it's, it's reasonable. It's rational. So mm-hmm. come on with me in this journey. And yeah. I, I, I understand those. I think what you're saying is, is really interesting and really like bolstering because it's not a, I have the answers. Like, you know, there's, we all know the jerk apologist who, yep. who does that instead. It's like, Hey, I know the answers. Hey, like I, I can talk with you about that. And yeah, it's God revealed thing. the answers, right? Right. right. Like I figured it out in God's grace. Yeah. I've come to know these things, but yeah, I think, I think those are right. What you just said. And maybe also the, the Christian, the, the graduate student Christian philosopher was once a sophomore Christian philosopher, Mm-hmm. both meaning the second year of college and also a sophomore, a wise fool. Yeah, right. And they were going around telling the professors, Jesus is your savior. And the professors maybe blew them up. Yeah. And so they, 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 instead of, this is two of the options I go over in my paper. One option is it's really hard to know God and everyone's doing the best they can. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where the Christian philosopher student, sophomore who got blown up might end up. Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard. The other answer is it's clear God exists and no one's doing the best they can. No one's seeking God. Right. And the Christian philosophy sophomore should have repented mm-hmm. and said, yeah, I, I, I said things that I didn't know. I need to get knowledge. Yeah. And I think that's what we'll see, mm. for example, in Psalm 73 with Asaph. That's really about the problem of evil. And he repents in there of ignorance and foolishness yeah. because he didn't understand what he should have understood. Yeah. And I think he's a model for all of us in philosophy. Well, what a great, yeah, it's, it's, you're, the student is presented with the same phenomena of getting blown up. And one of them says, oh, therefore, this is way harder than I thought. And so I'm going to lower the bar and say everyone's kind of trying. And the other student says, oh, this is way harder than I thought. My bad. Let me go study some more. Yeah. And, and, and be able to answer this more clearly. And so it's yeah. the same phenomena. It's just being interpreted in two different yeah. ways. I mean, so, so you and I both enjoy jujitsu and we, you can handle people who brag above their belt, right? Mm-hmm. And there it's easy to, for them to be humbled if they actually roll. That's right. But then they could make excuses for themselves. Well, that guy tricked me or that guy did this, or I had a bad, I didn't have a good breakfast. Versus saying, yeah, I was bragging about my belt. I didn't know what I should have yeah. known. I need to confess that as uh, what it is. Yeah. So 
I don't think we minimize, I don't think we lower the standards of certainty of what counts as certainty. I don't think we lower the standards of knowledge. I think we meet it head on. Yeah. And we affirm unbelievers without excuse. Mm-hmm. But you, you said something a moment ago, which I think is also at the heart of it, when you said, I want to meet them where they're at and bring them along. Yeah. And that brings us back to something we talked about at the beginning with the pseudo-intellectual, which is the, the desire to persuade others. Yeah. Do you want to, I mean, this is just almost a direct quote from Socrates. Do you want to persuade them of the truth mm-hmm. or of something else? Yeah. Well, the truth. Okay, good. Then tell me what the truth is. Well, I don't, I don't do that. I just bring people along. Well, then you might not be bringing them along to the truth. So before <laughs> you can even say you're getting in their mind and telling them they have reasonable doubts to bring them along, you should be able to give a proof that you know what's true. Yeah. Well, I feel really strong. But stop there. Lots of people have feelings. It doesn't guarantee anything. Yeah. So why do we bring up the pseudo-intellectual? It's not for name-calling. It's more as a word of caution to all of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a word of caution that I was seeing in uh, Acts 17 with Paul and the intellectuals. They're at Mars Hill. They're praising each other. They're, they're getting in arguments between the Stoics and the Epicureans about what counts as a good life. This, 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 this has been going on for a few uh, centuries at that point. Mm-hmm. And they don't have simple knowledge of God, the creator. Mm-hmm. The very city which claims to be the city of wisdom, Athens. And in the city of wisdom, its smartest philosophers have the unknown God. So you understand what they're saying. They're admitting that their wisdom doesn't give you the knowledge of God. Hmm. Paul doesn't grant that it's hard to know God. He doesn't say, yeah, you guys, you're right. You've been trying really hard. Good work. He says, let me tell you about the God who is displayed in creation. Yeah. And then he gets to, because you didn't know this is why you need Christ. And that's the point where they interrupt him and it ends because some uh-huh. of them mock him at that point. Yeah. Some but believe and some unbelief. And some yeah, unbelief. Yeah. You we'll should be able to demonstrate the unbelief is excu- inexcusable and yeah. demonstrate that God, the creator exists. And what, what Paul does there is masterful because if you know Pl- Platonism or Aristotelianism or the Stoic and Epicurean view, you'll know that he's, responding to their false views of God mm-hmm. and showing what we'll just say for shorthand, the Christian view of God. Yeah. And that you can do that. Yeah. So I think that should be our challenge. That should be our goal. And, and it's fine to concede. Yeah. I'm not there yet, mm-hmm. but don't change the goal to something less than that. Yeah. Just to meet yourself where you're at right now. Yeah. Because then you might be in, I'm not saying you are, but you might be a pseudo intellectual. You might be going into the intellectual life. For other reasons than understanding, yeah, that's that's huge. Well, we focused a lot on uh, on anti or pseudo intellectuals who are apologists, and you you talked about how um, pseudo intellectualism might be a broader uh, phenomena than uh, people think, or it might be you know on par or growing with uh, uh, in stature with anti intellectualism. Do you yeah. see like? Do you see it in the broader culture as well? Uh, it, yeah. Is this is this conversation limited to uh, being a Christian or not? Can you be a non- no, not at all. And I wasn't actually. Uh, I don't name anybody in my paper, and I'm not right. naming right. anybody now. We've talked about some people, yeah, uh, some theologians, some philosophers. I'm not calling them pseudo intellectuals at all. Right. We were using them as illustrations of the point mm-hmm. of, that there are. But I think this is a bigger problem yeah. um, in our culture right now than anti intellectualism. Okay. So. 
I bring it up to be aware of the problem. In other words, when Socrates spoke to the, he questioned three kinds of people, the politicians who were the intellectuals of his day, the artists, they're the feelers and the, the craftsmen, they're the doers. Mm-hmm. It'd be the first group, which is the sophists, the politicians who are the pseudo intellectuals. Okay. The craftsmen and the artists might be anti-intellectuals in the sense that they say, I do my trade and I don't have any of that fancy book learning. Oh yeah. Or, or you can't understand things uh, in propositional form. You need to feel, experience it through art or through, yeah. 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 He said that of the artists, almost anybody else could explain their art better than they could. (laughs) Right. So the, the Greeks had this view, which many artists still today think that they were occupied by a muse or a daemon. Mm-hmm. And then the art was inspired that way. Yeah. And so they, as a human, they, I didn't do it. The demon did. And I can't really explain it. Yeah. And so he likes the craftsmen the best. They're very useful. They get things done. But they also can't give an explanation of the good life. So the pseudo-intellectual is the one who says, we don't need to show what's clear God exists. Yeah. We don't need to show unbelief is without excuse. Or they redefine the word knowledge to mean something other than a proposition that you can show is true. Mm-hmm. Like you have an original feeling or an original intuition. That's the view I'm saying. Here's the why it's a problem. Yeah. Not only for the personal reason that it feeds myself life. It's a problem because if you can't show unbelief is without excuse, you don't get off the ground with the idea of sin. Yeah. And without sin, you don't have the cross of Christ. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to persuade someone to be a Christian without beginning with this repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, then you're not, you're, you're persuading them of something else besides the gospels. Yeah. I, I think of, uh, I think it's Bertrand Russell who said, uh, you know, someone asked him, Hey, what are you going to do if, if it turns out yeah. there is a God? And he says, not enough evidence. God. And, right. and so like, yeah, those who have limited the, so uh, it's not right, the, the Christian says he's right. There's right. not enough evidence. If only you would have read my paper though. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, that's what, what's funny. I use that example from Bertrand Russell and I use, he, he argued that the universe had existed from eternity mm-hmm. and was going to die what he called the heat death, which is when it runs out of, it's basically the old Viking view. Have you heard of the Vikings? Yeah. yeah. I didn't know. The that ice they world. It's didn't like know. the intellectual version of the Vikings. Interesting. The ice world wins at the end. Everything turns to ice. Yeah. So I think it's interesting that he's still just putting that, that old view into new language, but those, those both can't be true. That's if what I was just saying. Right had existed from eternity, it would already be at the heat death of the universe. Or, yeah. I, I was you can't cross that. eternity and then get to the heat death. It would have already happened. Or it would never happen. because Or it would never happen, right. Right, yeah. So, so you don't need, so, 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 you know, fictionally, in that example, when he says that to God, God can reply, hey, let's actually flip open to your own book version hmm. and, and see that you contradict yourself. There's your evidence. Yeah. Um, okay, so so more broadly speaking, like uh, I I don't want to be too uncharitable, but I see like the the modern uh, sophists, uh, they're politicians still. They're people who get paid to make arguments, and their position changed based on who who's paying them. I think Tucker Carlson is one of these guys. I used to really like Tucker uh, when he was not working for any organization. He's more libertarian. I kind of liked what he was saying. He's an interesting guy. And then he started working for Fox and all of his opinions changed. Hmm. And it's like, you seem like a sophist to me, dude. Um, say what you will about his arguments and stuff. But um, can yeah, that whole be- world, 
it'd be hard to exist in that world without being a sophist. I'm not saying no one is, but that whole world is based around that and the things that it praises you for and the ways you have a success. And so, so would you say um, that someone like that is a pseudo intellectual in that they're, they're not, their goal is not uh, understanding, but it's a a paycheck. Well, I I would say if someone does that, that's true of them. I don't, I would want to be careful about attributing motives to someone. Okay. Sure. But you could have evidence that seems to indicate those motives. Yeah. However, here's what I would say. Here's the worst problem. You you could be you could be arguing things for your political side that aren't sound. You're not giving sound arguments. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. So that might make someone say you're a pseudo intellectual. I think it's worse than that. Not only are you doing that, you don't even know what's clear about God's existence, mm. and you should. So you should repent of that in, on public TV. Okay. Say, you know what? I've been in unbelief my whole life. And if you say, well, that's embarrassing. Asaph did that in Psalm 73. He repented for this before the whole world. Hmm. And so you should do that as well. You should repent of your ignorance and unbelief. And so people sometimes ask me, let's say, Anderson, you don't seem very political. Like I don't watch Tucker Carlson, so I don't know anything about him. Yeah. Uh, well, here's here's the thing is I don't get into debates about current politics very much hmm. because I think that they're a product of the failure to know God. If we knew God, we could sort out these other things. If we don't know God, there will be no end to these other things. Yeah. So I put my energies there in the knowledge of God. Yeah. That's good. That's that's really – man, that's interesting. Do, um, if I could ask about your eschatology really quick, do you think that we will come to a point where we do know God here before the eschaton and we can figure out some of this politics stuff? Oh, yeah, for sure. So I'm not giving up on politics or or health or for sure. all of those. Uh, so I mentioned Van Til. The, one of the people that shaped him is Abraham Kuyper, mm-hmm. who would say, yeah, Christ is to fill all areas of life. Absolutely. I'm just saying there's an order to it. If you're trying to solve up here, right, right. broken down here, it's not going to work. Yeah, but you yeah, – so, I, I think so. I'm, I'm a good old post mill. So oh, wow, I think, all right. That's what I was I getting think at. we do we, – when Christ tells us to disciple the nations – this is something that we can't do. Often flies can. We actually do end up discipling nations. Or what Isaiah says in eleven nine: the earth is filled with the knowledge of God. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's the. I think that happens before Christ returns. That's the post mill view, not that the world gets terrible and then Christ returns. Yeah, I'm, I'm kinda, so there might be some terrible times ahead of us. Sure, I'm not predicting a smooth ride up to the uh, end, but but those those terrible times are due to not faithfully witnessing to what's clear about God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, maybe this podcast becomes a, a part of that, and people will yeah. repent of that, and that'd be huge. Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. Because I've used I've used believers, ASAF, and unbelievers as examples. They all, we all share the same problem, which is that we need to be able to repent of unbelief and and display the knowledge of God through His works. Be the first in line to faithfully witness to that, and not not allow ourselves to give an easy pass. Yeah, and and that's like you said before. That's important, so we can have a robust and faithful understanding of sin, and people can see their condition, and then we can also present the remedy for sin in the gospel. Yeah, right. Yeah. And we try to otherwise we turn it into something that it isn't, something less than what it is. It's it's the eternal Son of God incarnate dying for our sins. Mm-hmm. Not not only an example of loving your neighbor or a guy who got caught up in the politics of his day and he was a passive resistor, so they killed him. No, it's, it's the eternal son of God incarnate dying for sins, vicarious atonement. Yeah. So we need to be able to affirm that. Now, 
As we wrap up, let me remind everyone why we're talking about pseudo-intellectuals. Again, we start off, and I suggested this, this is a dangerous topic because someone could say I'm calling names, right. and I'm not. I, any of the people we're talking about today, I'd withhold saying, I'm not saying any of them is a pseudo-intellectual. Instead, what I'm doing is pointing out this as a real danger. It's the danger that the leader of philosophy, Socrates, encountered. And so we should expect to encounter it also in, in ourselves and others. Yeah. And Socrates was said to be wise because he realized the danger in himself. Even though he never himself came to knowledge, he wasn't, he wasn't actually wise, but at least he, he knew the danger of this. So that's why I brought this topic up. And, and then we're ending with a call, really a call to Christians in philosophy to hold ourselves to that standard. We should be able to show unbelievers without excuse. Don't, don't shy away from that. Don't settle for something less than that. Yeah, dude, this has been really good, and it has been really challenging for me. I feel like I'm the target audience of this one, which is really good. Uh, I'm I'm in a philosophy of religion program. I'm you know thinking about this stuff uh, right now. So I, I really appreciate uh, even the demeanor you got, man. Um, there's a way you could do this and be a total jerk, and I know people who do that, and it really puts people off, and it, it makes the whole position you know uh, you know talking about rhetoric and stuff, but it makes the position seem less compelling. Yeah. So I appreciate the, the way you uh, represent this as well, man. Well, and I think that we do learn that, for example, from Paul at, at, at Athens. He, he's not a jerk about it, but he's also straightforward and bold about it. And that's what's compelling for some people, right? Like the, the ones who did believe at, at uh, the Areopagus. He, this guy is making these claims, man. Let's hear yeah. what he has to say. Holy cow. It's not just like, hey, you know, I, I just want to feel where you're at. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I, I know God. Let me tell you about that statue. You know, let me well, tell maybe, you. Well, I mean, maybe what you and I should do, I know, you, you know, this could be a few months down the road, but what we should do is I've made claims here that we can show it's clear God exists. We should do an interview about that, right? So yeah. it's one thing to say it. Mm-hmm. It's another thing to do it. So let's put Anderson to the test. He, he's going around making these these claims about what other people should do. Well, yeah. what can you do? Let's, let's do it. So maybe you and I should... Just have that as a as an upcoming one because I think your audience would like to see that. Like, yeah, what would that mean? What would what would it mean to show the unbelievers without excuse? Yeah, and I, I think it does take some work, but it's also not all that hard. Yeah, both of those are true. So you got to put some work into it, showing only God's eternal, but it's clear. Each step is clear along the way. Yeah, no, that's good. I'm down for that. We've done that in several of the uh, episodes that we've had, but not all in one spot and not all just focusing on that. So I think that'd be a great one to do. And then just toss the gauntlet down for all the grandmas out there. Yeah. It's your turn, grandma. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think grandma can be in the front row of witnessing, mm. right? She could be ready to take on the, the uh, person who says the universe. I mean, here, look at me. Let me end with this. Okay, you got a guy like Lawrence Krauss or Stephen Hawking. Stephen Hawking is purported to be the smartest human who ever lived. His last book, he says the universe is an uncaused event. Hmm. I can put Grandma up against Stephen Hawking. She can't do calculus. Let's say some grandmas can. Let's say this one can. Yeah. She hasn't read his book, but she knows there are no uncaused events, and that's nonsense. Yeah. So grandma should be able to do that. And I think, I think uh, a faithful one would do she, that. And because she knows it on your view, she can demonstrate it. Right. So it's not just like she's in a position because then you're getting back to the externalism thing. She knows yeah. the truth and that one's true because of the situation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. She yeah, you should, I mean, I, yeah, we, we could go with that. How could you demonstrate yeah. there are no one caused events? It's, it's, yeah. it's not that hard. I think you could give 
you could give she could give a proof that doesn't require technical philosophical language about being uh, <laughs> and it was it would be a sound proof still okay yeah well uh everyone pay uh attention for that I, I, let's do that man that sounds awesome all right um thanks for having me on today yeah thanks for coming on this is huge i still can't wait till we can uh get together and roll that would be awesome i know we're planning that and uh, we'll, we'll we'll figure out some way to either do it in Chicago or do it in Phoenix. That's right. And we'll have we'll have a, a thumbnail with both of us going like this. And yeah, we'll be like. <laughs> what we'll do, what we'll do though, when we do make it happen, we'll make an event of it. We'll advertise it. We'll have yeah. like a UFC poster of both of us. That's right. Uh, and it'll be role plus debate. Yeah, yeah, I love it. That, that sounds fantastic. Well, um, that's going to have to do it, folks. Uh, if you want to hear more from uh, Owen Anderson, Dr. Owen Anderson, check out uh, his links. One, one sec, I'll, I'll give you guys uh, his link again. But uh, go back and listen to our other episodes. We've talked about um, all sorts of amazing things. Uh, one that, that a lot of you guys haven't seen was on dystopian novels and their non-cognitive answers and a cognitive answer to dystopia. And it, it's fantastic. So go check that one out as well. I'll, I will definitely put all those in the description. But Owen, can you tell us one more time where, where can people find you? Yeah, so I, I post lectures usually weekly on my YouTube page, Dr. Owen Anderson. And I have a Patreon account, also Dr. Owen Anderson. So it'd be great if you want to hit, hit the like button, smash the subscribe, smash and uh, join us. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, you got it, dude. This is great. All right. Well, uh, that's going to have to do it, folks. This has been Parker's Pensies. And as always, all glory to God, whom you should be able to demonstrate exists.